0: had the privilege of uh, sharing a bunch of this message with a bunch of pastors and church leaders down in Monte Vista uh, yesterday. So it was uh, what they call the Continental Divide Association. And those are 25 churches that are kind of in this strip, just this side of uh, the divide, pretty much. I'm still understanding, getting to know all of these things. And... Uh, it was funny because I'm sharing this message with with other church leaders and and we're talking about Acts and the early church and I'm pretty excited about it. But I had printed my notes in a font, accidentally in a font that was too small to read. So I would you know I would share a thought and I would come back over and uh, I guess I was just I, I came back and I go you know I'd change the page like. Uh, and I just see something bold, and I kind of go with that <laughs> anyway. Today, I printed it a lot bigger <laughs> so that should be helpful and it, it just was it was great to be with these people there that were are concerned about the church, love the church, love what Jesus is doing, and are strategizing how to have a better impact on hearts in our neighborhood, really you know here specifically and on out on this side of of the Of the range, and it made me very thankful for OB Joyful Church. I'm just so thankful for this place. Um, There were great leaders at those churches, and good things are going on, and they have good people, but none like ours. You know, I wanted to have like an OB Joyful shirt, Um, but that's not the spirit of the meeting. So uh, I had to. To tell myself to be humble about our place, I'm just so thankful for what God's done and being able to to come here to a place that's um, that's healthy and, and things are going very well. One of the things that we were talking about, though, is the what the church, the church in the the big scope and our church, the little churches, are facing in our culture. You know, We are in difficult times. Not that we haven't been in difficult times before, but we really have to ask God to lead us to have an impact in our world. It isn't just going to happen. And the darkness is all around us. You know, we are a lighthouse in this place. But it is, uh, these are challenging times. When I think about the times that we are in, the challenges that I think we face... Instead of being discouraged, it does worry me, but I'm encouraged because I'm looking at the book of Acts, because I'm looking at these first chapters of Acts, and I'm going, these people had, the odds were stacked against these people. You know, if I think it's tough here or in the United States or where I don't know, any place you want to name, I mean, from just looking in from the outside, just as a, as a secular person looking at this group of people, Well, the leaders were uneducated. That that doesn't help you get going. They were Galileans for another thing. Okay, another word for Galilean is hillbilly. (laughs) So the reputation was not strong. You know, they didn't have something go. They didn't have people who were giving them money. They didn't have benefactors, right? This is these are people who are fishermen. All these people are coming into town. They're traveling. they had what they had. Their resources, I guess I would say they were resource poor, at least for looking in from the outside, right? The political and the cultural system was uh, adversarial to say the least. The religious leaders were in power, right? But they were against them. They just crucified their leader just weeks before. Right? So there's, it's not a positive environment from the religious standpoint, which was part of the culture. But they also lived in, they were in Jerusalem at the time, which was a place that was occupied by a cruel foreign government. That was that, The odds were stacked against them. And in just a few years, the persecution of Rome would begin. So when I look at the odds, the, the situation that that church was in, and I compare it to our own, just on the surface right there, I have hope. But how did they overcome those odds? What was it that made them, what was it about them that that not only helped them overcome the odds, but become a force that would change the world? I think there are a lot of answers to that. But the one that I want to share with you today and ask you to think about is this that that group of believers formed what I want to call a revolutionary community. Their community was revolutionary. A revolution means that things change. Everything changes when you have a revolution. In the strategy with which they went at it to cause this revolution was community. Now that that seems uh, personally uh, honestly I think that sounds somewhat anticlimactic. We're going to go out in with community. If we all got together, you know, we said okay, we're going to strategize how we're going to reach this town. And then we're going to reach this uh, we're going to reach this state and we're going to reach the nation and out from there. We would get together, we get a big whiteboard, and we'd start, we'd start thinking, okay, this is how we do well. This, um, We have this money. We can do this marketing campaign. We'll get these leaders, right? We would bring all of our you know, education to the forefront and all the things we've done in our jobs and things like that before. But I don't know if we would have said, let's make the strategy having the most revolutionary community possible right here. I don't know if we would have done that. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I would have. I would have had all these other ideas and invested in marketing, probably. For those of you who are from out of town, we're, this is your home as well, here, first time, millions of times. It doesn't matter. We're the church together in this neighborhood. And we... This, this revolutionary community is... Uh, is something that I want all of us, and, and myself included, just uh, just think about as I'm speaking this morning. And there were three components to it that I want to lay out for you. One is that uh, in this community, they had, uh, they had unity, they had generosity, and they had what I want to call receptivity. And I'll tell you what that means in a minute. Unity, generosity, generosity. In receptivity. Now, we could sit here and say, well, let's just do those things and we'll be like them. But God doesn't work like that. The thing that really changed who they were was that the Spirit filled these people. And so, as much as I want to, to challenge you to think about that revolutionary community and unity and generosity and receptivity, uh, I want to encourage you to do what actually Jim said when he Uh, handed this roll off to me. He said to us and to me, he said, what we need to do is seek God first. And when we know what the early church was like and we seek God first, and we know that these are the things that he's about, then he'll add those things to us. So two things I want to ask you to do today. Consider these pieces of this revolutionary community and what they mean to us and to you, but then instead of trying to just uh, force them into our lives, let's just seek God about them and let him change our hearts on these issues. Okay. Um, so, revolutionary community. We're in Acts 2. Thank you, Chris, for reading that earlier. Uh, in Last week, we looked at 2, 42 and 43, just that part, the practices of the church. We talked about how they invested in those, and I challenge you to engage in the practices of the church. But... This time, it's a little, it looks a little bit different. And if you read with me in Acts 2.44, we're just going to look at 44 through 47 today. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, this is where I'm going to start to draw out this idea of unity with them. So the first thing you see there is that all were together. When you outline this passage, if you were to eat, whether the Greek or the English, however you looked at it, you would see that the word all together, the words all together are like a hanger that all, all these other things hang on. Like day by day, they were meeting. They had all things in common. Together, they did those things. Together, they were selling their possessions. They were eating together. They were praising God. They had the favor of the people. All of these community things were happening together. You see what I'm saying, and then in for, verse 47 it says, "And then God was adding to their number." So all of these things together were happening. All in, if you're doing all of those things together, in this unity is so significant. Uh, that's that takes some unique people. So I'm going to ask you, please respond what are some characteristics that these people had to have or that this group had to have in order to live together in unity? Okay, they had to be very patient with one another. Okay, there had to be uh, love, which it goes beyond uh, just friendship. It's uh, active. Okay, where did that forgiving come from? Yeah, there, you have to be able to forgive to have unity. Okay, keep coming. Okay, they had to be humble. Their hearts had to be humble. Yes. Okay, what do you mean by that? Okay, they were, uh, but they knew that they weren't perfect. Then maybe that fits in with humble. Yeah, exactly. Okay, they had to stick with it. Excellent, yeah. Thank you. Tenacity. Okay. And we talked a lot about that last week. The gospel has got to be the foundation of this group and it was transforming for them, okay? Uh, any other ones? Okay, Grace. When I, when I was thinking about this, I started thinking about, you know, in like a marriage relationship. You have to have all these same things to have unity or a close friendship. You have to have these things. There are a couple more that I'd like to dig out and then maybe not be might not be that obvious. Okay. Yeah. There's a sense of acceptance. Okay. Yeah. They knew. They knew they needed Jesus. These. This particular. Yeah. Oh wait. Hold on. Okay. Prayer was critical to them. We talked about that last week. Go back and listen to the message. Okay. They were free. What do you mean? Okay, yeah. Yeah, they had, okay, those, pro- those two things go together, that confidence in what, in what Jesus was doing with them. Okay, yeah, 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 they're willing. Excellent, now we're going. Devoted, devoted, and that came up last time. It's right, right at the beginning. Yeah, they were, they were all in. So now when I'm just when you're saying these things when I'm thinking man that's a pretty big commitment and when I okay so here we are church I mean look around right so that takes a lot of trust and that was the thing that jumped out to me uh maybe more than some of the other ones. To do all those things, we really have to trust each other. You get, you get kind of vulnerable when you have to trust somebody. I'm going to trust you with all of this stuff. My patience, I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to give to you. We're going to walk through life together. I have to trust. I mean, I have to just set it out there. Say, this is for you. That, I'm just going to be honest. That's hard for me. And, and maybe one of those other things we brought up is hard for you. I don't know. But we, those are some of the hurdles that God has to take us through in order to have that unity that that early church had. And, and that's why I say we've got to seek God because that stuff just doesn't come without God changing our hearts for it. Here's another thing that unity requires that I think is pretty critical uh, it requires submission. And by that, I mean you can't always get your way. Now, that's pretty significant. If you're going to really have a a relationship together that is unified, somebody has to submit. Do you see what I'm going at there? So another issue of trust there. Uh, And in the church... Most of us have been around in a church before where things got messed up because people wouldn't submit, and that may include us. You know, whenever you find the perfect church, you need to be careful because you're going to mess it up, right? Because we want our way. We're at this church because we like this one, because we want our way, right? It's what we do. And so when we come here, When we come together as believers and we're together with the believers in in our community, others, having our way is is something we need to consider sacrificing. But what I mean by that, maybe specifically, is in in terms of the church, if you have a concern, if something's really bugging you or somebody's really bugging you, if you can't talk directly to them, we need to be careful not to talk to other people and not go laterally, right? Hey, you're not going to believe this. Now that seems obvious. I probably don't even need to say it, but that's how things get messy in churches, right? We have to be committed to going up. At the church I worked for before, one of the, I would lead this new member class. The church I worked for was kind of different. It it was two times the size of the entire valley of every single person in the valley. So we'd have these pretty big new member classes, like this big, the size. And so we would, I would always want to say, hey, if you have a problem. Our church is committed to unity. You cannot come in here and stir this thing up. If you have a problem, you need to go up. You need to talk to the people up. And because joining in this church, you are submitting to the leadership of this church. It's a choice that you make. And the leadership of this church is submitting to Christ. And as the pastor of this church, I submit to all of you. I submit to the elders We are in a culture of submission if we're going to have unity. I cannot have my way. Anyway, I'm probably stomping on this one for too long. So I apologize, but I don't think there's a problem with unity at this church. It's just got to be a core value of ours. So uh, trust, mercy, forgiveness, submission, selflessness, that's the kind of stuff that comes in unity and togetherness but it only comes because Christ provides it. So we need to seek him first in these things. All right. So unity was one of these things that they had. Another one was that they had revolutionary community in generosity. And we could spend, I don't know how many sessions on the generosity of these people. Whenever you read this passage, this is 245. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all As any had need. It's hard to know how to apply that because it sounds extreme. And I listened to a few messages from other speakers around our country on this passage. And without fail, every one of them had to stop and say, hey, this kind of generosity that they're practicing in this living together and all this, this isn't communism. I don't know why. That needs to be brought up. Because I guess some people want to say, hey, you know, the the church should live in like a hotel, you you know, and they should all share everything and share their money and stuff. I, I don't know. Maybe they should. Communism is a whole other thing. What this is, is people being extremely generous with their possessions. That's just what this is. So I wanted to just show you a couple of things in the Hebrew scripture about God's economics. I had a mentor in, in Dallas and he would. Uh, it, I was, my job was to work a lot with people who are in poverty, all kinds of poverty situations. And he said, you need to go back. You need to study Deuteronomy. I was like, okay. This is several years ago. So I did. I started outlining Deuteronomy. And chapter 15 and in, in all around there is amazing when you see God's Economy, And I want to just show you a couple of verses. As you can see that when these people were meeting the needs of people who were need, in need in their community, in their na- their neighbors, they were following God's economy. let's his, his, say it this way, God's economics, the way he, he has things working out, because God cares about people who have need. And we need to adopt that as well. So Deuteronomy 15, 1. Chris, are we going to have? Yes, there it is. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. In other words, because I said so. Every seven years, all debts will be canceled. If you've had an an economics class before, you can imagine what that might mean to... way the world works no debt after seven years wiped away and there's another little comment right after that and he says if somebody is in need and comes to you on the sixth year or the fifth year and they're really in need and you know that the seventh year is coming you still you still provide for them you still take care of them that's just a little slice i just want to pull out that one little slice of god's economic plan There's tons more there. Like you're familiar with how the, he said, okay, you need to leave part of your field so that people who are in poverty can come and glean from that. They can work and provide food for themselves if they may not have the wherewithal to own the land. Another, the sharing, the interaction. We always think of the poor as them, don't we? And that's why we call them the poor. The Bible says the poor. We have to deal with that. But these are our brothers and sisters and there are all kinds of poverty educational poverty, relational poverty, financial poverty, material poverty, all kinds of things that our church in the church in generosity can meet those needs under God's economic plan. But one more thing I just have to point out to you, and I'm sure I'm going to have to speak on this another day. And this is from Ezekiel 16. You know, I grew up, uh, like I've told you before, in a Methodist church. You know, we had the flannel graph that taught us all about, you know, Bible stories and stuff like that. And the one about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was the one where it you know, said, oh, the, the, the people in Sodom and Gomorrah are really, really bad. But in, in elementary school, they didn't tell you why we they were so bad, right? Um, but later on, you learn why it was. And then I really started studying God's economics, and I came across Ezekiel 16. Most of you are familiar with this passage, right? I'm kidding. Um, but you will be now. You might want to underline this one. Ezekiel 1649, God is just on the people right here. He says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. Okay, that just turns over... 30 years of understanding of what it was that was the problem with Sodom. Yes, they were evil. They were wicked, but those were byproducts. Does this sound familiar? Pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. Sound like anybody you know? It sounds like me. Uh... I'll be, you know, I, I told you, be, trusting is tough for me. Generosity is not my gift either. i us just be straight up honest with you. I am not a generous person. So don't ask me for anything. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll get you a cup of coffee or something. No, honestly, I, I, I've I've I got to confess, I am generosity. I've been praying that God would work uh, on my heart and generosity. And this summer, some of you were around when uh, uh, Troy Austin was here. And he he, uh, promoted a little conference on the journey of generosity. And so I took him up on that and went. It was just encouraging believers, not in giving to certain things or even giving to the church, but just being generous. And so just so you know, I mean, if you see me being generous, then you are seeing God work on me. Tim Keller says that uh, generosity was the characteristic through which the church had the most significant impact. He says, when you look back and you look at history, you say, why did everything change? Why was it so revolutionary? Why did the Romans completely convert, you know, as a society, as as it were? He says, because of their generosity. And he has a quote from the emperor, just Julian. And if you're familiar with some Roman history, Julian was cruel. Okay, Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as much as their charity to strangers. The impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but ours as well. So this was their reputation, generosity. We have an opportunity, just only nine of us, since well, Scott's gone there, since Scott's going to take one of those places, but nine of us, just a chance to be generous uh, to our neighborhood people just across the way, you know, four hours away. So I want to encourage you, this is an opportunity to step up just one day, 30 hours. Check that out. Uh, okay, so generosity, unity, and finally this uh, one other thing that was revolutionary, and that was their receptivity. Let me me read to you from uh, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all... they They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, if God is adding to your number daily those who are being saved, that's a lot of people. If God were to add one person a day to this church, well, that'd be one row. And in just one month, we'd have this whole section filled up. And if God adds them, they're, they're in here, right? So imagine it was, it was probably more than that. And God, this community of believers is welcoming these people in, right? Because if they were shunning them, what would be happening? The church wouldn't be growing, but the church is growing and great things are happening. So what I mean is that there is a receptivity within the body to people who are coming in. So at least I think this this means that as a body, um, if people come in our doors, they need to be warmly welcomed. There's something that uh, I'm pretty committed to. It's, I tell it myself is just there, there, there really can be no wallflowers. Remember being a wallflower? Most of you are too cool to experience that. I did um, experience being a wallflower. Uh, you know, and if, and you'll notice this. Now, I'm going to tell you how to look for this. When, when somebody comes in who's new to our church and they don't know what to do, they'll do one of two things. They'll come in the door and they'll look over and they'll look immediately for the way to get in here. And then they'll beeline it in here because they don't know anybody. And you don't want to stand out there and, you know, you just, nobody wants to do that. Or they'll stand in one of the corners of the room, one of the, where there's a, you watch, and they'll, they'll be there like this. And it happens in a big church. It happens in a small church. A couple of y'all are new. In fact, there's a couple right there. You just introduced yourself first, maybe first or second time. And when I met them, they were standing on the corner and no one was talking to them. Wallflowers are not really an option in the church because here's what I think. If we can't welcome the people who come through the, over the threshold of the door, what business do we do having, sending thousands of dollars or people to another place? If you can't just welcome the people coming into your doors. I mean, now I, I understand. We have, if you're a local here, we have so many guests, it's just crazy, right? On the other hand, If you're a local here, you know who the locals are, right? You can stand up and point to all of us, right? That means anyone else could be a wallflower, right? I know everyone's gift isn't glad-handing and being friendly and making friends and all that stuff. I understand. But wallflowers aren't an option. (laughs) Because in the early church... They were receptive to these people. And that's that's well in the in that first part of verse forty-seven. It says uh, they were praising God and they had favor with all the people. One more question for you guys uh, to answer: What does what do you think Luke meant when he said they had favor with all the people? What did that mean? Okay, yeah, it's not a trick question. They were liked and accepted. Okay, good. There was a... uh, uh, Well, let's contrast that. Let me say it this way. How, How do people think about the church in general today about let's just say evangelicals I'll let you answer that too what's the prevailing wisdom on the outside of this building about what an evangelical is like hypocrites judgmental okay so something has gotten out of whack something is out of whack um so here here's what I'd like to say about that. I understand people who don't know us, who don't understand the church or there's a good chance they're going to have a dim view of us, of Christians, of evangelicals, you know, of bible thumpers and people who believe in creation and all that stuff, right? But if they're going to have a dim view, let's make sure that it's because we showed too much mercy and too much gra- well all those things we just talked about about community too much grace that we were too generous because the mess see we all know this about communication whatever the other person is hearing is what we're communicating so it doesn't matter what we think we're saying or how great we think we are what they're hearing is what the message is we judge you you've got a problem no mercy, I'm better, I'm closer to God than you. Let's let them have a dim view of us because we showed mercy, too much mercy, too much grace, too much understanding, too much patience, patience, love. I'll look at the, at the very bottom, at the bottom of uh, 247 again, just... Uh, We've moved from together to what, what we were doing, what the church is doing together and what we should do together to what God is doing. God is adding to their number daily, those who are being saved day by day. So what I'd like to leave us with today is, is that thought. May God add to our number As we seek him first, may our unity and our generosity and our receptivity be known in our community. May we have a good reputation in this neighborhood. And in generations to come, may believers and non believers alike look back, even at OB Joyful Church, and say, that place had a revolutionary community and it was earmarked by generosity, by unity, by receptivity, by following the practices of the church. So that's what I'm gonna pray for right now and let's seek God in that and uh, join together in a, in a revolutionary community here. God, I just I come to you with my friends and my family this morning. Lord, uh, we're just inspired by the early church. And I thank you for them. I thank you that in, in spite of incredible odds that they did amazing things. And Lord, they were filled by your spirit. They were moved by you. God, we want that. We seek you first in these things, Lord. And we ask you to add them to us. And God, where any of us are weak, especially myself in any of these areas, God, we confess those to you. And we ask that you change us, Lord, we don't want to sit still and never grow. We want to follow you. And in, in seeking you and knowing you, Lord, you're going to change our hearts. That's what you, We know that's what you want. And I pray that we would see that in one another, that we would begin to have that kind of trust. That we would submit to one another, that you would lead us in that, that we would have generosity that overflows what we can expect, Lord, that the reputation of the church and this church and our community would be one of favor. And Lord, may people be added to your kingdom in this place.